Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. About 6.40 and time for us to get started. As is our custom, I'm going to let you um, talk in your groups as we get started. Um, Sunday was Easter, and it was a great day here. I don't know what service or what worship time you came, but we had six services um, in the morning, which was very, very exciting um, for us to be able to accommodate about 1,000, 1,200 extra guests over the weekend. So it's very, very exciting. And I would like to ask you, since you're kind of a core group of studiers, to really ask God to bless the people that normally don't go to a fellowship and that maybe in some way that coming to Christ Church would pique their interest to be involved on a more regular basis at a good church, whether that is Christ Church or another church. Just let's be advocates for people who really don't have a church home. Coming off of Easter, um, our attendance does not really spike the following week. So a lot of those people, they don't come back. Uh, And as a church, we are interested that people get connected with Jesus. You know, we're studying, leaning into Jesus, having a word-centered life, and having spiritual practices. Well, on Easter, that's a spiritual practice that some people don't practice very regularly. And so if you would, um, as you are talking, um, take a moment of prayer for those people, just generally speaking, that they would be connected to the Lord. That would be really great. The second thing that I'd like for you to do, and you can do these in either order, is to talk about um, the resurrection of Christ. We are going to talk about He is risen I mean, if you can't get excited about the resurrection and what that means, we don't have a pulse. And so we're going to piggyback off of Easter using some very familiar passages. And we're going to dig into how the resurrection impacted Paul. And we're going to use him as a model. But I would like for you to think through what are some of the benefits that we have um, having a relationship with a living Lord. A real live God who is really capable, who laid his life down and was resurrected and promises us a resurrected life also. And I'd like for you to just kind of wrap your minds just around what are the benefits of that? What are the blessings of that as we get started? And just kind of chat with one another about that. Um, You're also welcome to talk about how things are going and just some of the spiritual practices that you have. But I would really like for you to pray for people that came, that they would find um, a church family to belong to. Uh, What does the resurrection mean for you? And just kind of visit a little bit about that. We're going to delve into it further. And then just kind of your own spiritual practices and how you think some of those things might be going. Um, Also, I'll just keep saying this over and over again, just so that I remember. April the 25th is our last meeting date. So we will go all the way through the month of April. 
And if you are not able to be here, we will have the recordings online for you if that is too long for uh, what your plans are and all that. So um, if you need the handouts, if you would let the church office know, or you could just email me at the church, uh, just go on the webpage, look at my wonderful mug, uh, communicate with me or go through there. I would be happy to send you the digital copies. I have them all. If you want them all digitally, I'd be more than happy to just, you know, put them in a drive or in a little file for you and send them all to you if that would be helpful. So just contact me and I'll just send that to you at the end of our time together so you could have all of that as well. So um, let me open up with a word of prayer and then I'll let you talk for about 10 minutes or so about those things. Lord, thank you so much that we live on this side of the cross It is so amazing to have the Holy Spirit live within us. I'm just reminded of one of my professor colleagues who said, you know, we're gonna be so excited to talk to Moses or David or one of the the major players in the Old Testament, Abraham or Ruth. And we're gonna say, what was it like when? And they're gonna stop us. And they're gonna say, no, 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 no. What was it like to have God live in you? What was it like to have the Holy Spirit Take up residence in you. Live the resurrected life. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. What is it like and what, what would Paul have us know about it? So as we set our minds on that, Lord, we pray that you will open up our hearts and you will help for us to really study the text tonight and consider where we are on our journey of living a resurrected life. What does it mean to have you live within us with the power of the resurrection, as Paul would talk about? And Lord, we want to be advocates for people who don't have a church home. So hear our prayers and read our hearts. And Lord, conform us more and more to the image of Christ as we study and fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll give you the two-minute warning so that if you haven't prayed by then, you might want to whoop one up. Okay, if I could have your attention. Um, What I would like to do with you is just kind of start out with you devotionally from Romans chapter one, verse four, which is the first section of scripture that you have on your handout. I did get the correct pages, page 32 now. Um, So we picked up where we um, needed uh, needed the pages to be. But in Romans chapter one, Verses 1 through 6, at the very top of this, Paul wrote, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. A couple of sections in here, and I highlighted the primary one. The resurrection is the single most important doctrine in our Christian faith. Now, the the idea of God being a three-in-one spirit... The, uh, uh, the three-in-one being, uh, the Holy Spirit living within us. Those are all incredibly important. But what we're gonna be taking a look at is without the resurrection, uh, we are to be most pitied above all other people because we are asked to die to ourselves and live this different kind of life. 
a life that is to be empowered by God, a life that we cannot live on our own. And if we're disconnected from God, then we have to live that life on our own ability. So the first stop that I want to make for you is that a real God who has real ability did a real thing that is lived out in you every single day. He, decla- he was declared the son of God. That is, Jesus is either a Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. I love that from a long, long time ago. He really is who he said that he was, or he just lied his way all through, or he's just a crazy man. People would say, oh, he's a really great teacher. He's not. If he, if he is just a teacher and not God, he is self-deluded at best. That's what he is. And so there has to be some verification on who he is. Yes, he could raise people from the dead, and yet the prophets could do that. But to be killed, to be tortured, to be mutilated, to be spat on, to have the spear in his side and be put in the tomb and walk out three days later. Now that's just plain miraculous. People just can't do that. They just can't. And so what Paul is saying here is that there's something really amazing that he doesn't want us to miss. And I want for you to see that that resurrection power that lives in you is what we're going to be taking a look at is also that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we have it experienced a little bit differently because God is not currently raising us from the dead. He is giving us power to live the life that he has called us to live. And that is how the resurrection power is primarily seen in us, in the world. You should not be so put together You should not be able to overcome your addictions. You should not be able to go from being an angry rageaholic to somebody who is a peacemaker. You should not go from somebody who struggles with relationships and hates people to being somebody who's marked by love. You should just not be able to do that. In fact, so much of psychology is just learning how to cope with our lives and who we are. And what God says is, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna make you different so that you think different. You will have the same kind of emotional reactions, but you will respond differently. And because you're going to have a different orientation to life, you will actually have a different end product. And people will look at you and say, how can you do that? How can you be so patient? How can you be so kind? How can you be so loving? How can you be so caring when nobody else around you is? How can you swim upstream against culture and still love people? How can you not be afraid of what's happening in the world around you? How can you walk up to somebody and love them even though the world says that they're unlovable? How can you do that? And you're going to have the handprints of the resurrection power all over you. And that is going to be the validation that a lot of people will see is that you will live a life that seems impossible and you will do that with relative ease. Because it is you, empowered by God. In fact, somebody will just accuse you of being healthy and good and kind, and you won't even notice it. And they'll thank you for it. You'll think, gosh, why are you even thanking me for that? This is just really normal. And yet, if you look back on your life, you might find that you really were impatient, or you really were not very kind, or you really did have a salty mouth, or you really did have inconsistent behaviors. And now you're looking at your life going, gosh, I I was that way, but I am not anymore. And I don't even know how that happened. That's this transformation. You get close to God, you invite him into your life, and he begins to change you. And that's kind of what we're studying in this class. That is the resurrection lived out in you. God puts a spotlight on you, 
and says to the world, look, look at that person. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about God in you, helping you to deal with the challenges that you face with all the emotions and all the care and all the love and all the trip ups that are a part of that. But you pick yourself up and you keep on going. And in the end, you make progress that you would never make otherwise. This is what we're looking at in Romans chapter one, verses one through six. Jesus was declared, his words were true because he walked out of the grave and you yourself are becoming a different person. So here's what I want for you to think about as we open up this class. This is really an encouragement class today. I hope that the word of God is um, rightfully challenging for you in your relationship with Christ. But this is really about you taking a look to see that God is really changing you. I want you to stop and I want you to take some stock. What, what is different about you, even in the last six months? How are you growing? How are you developing so that you will see that God is still at work? No matter what is going on in your life, that you are going to lean into Christ and he's gonna show up. You're gonna take the word and you're going to use the word as a guide for your life and you're gonna see that the word is going to come alive and that you find those connection points and in those connection points, you find that you are having a more intimate relationship with God that actually is blessing you and blessing those around you. You're gonna live on the front end of your faith or the edge of your faith and you're gonna see that God comes through. Now, what I liked about this last part of the passage is uh, verse number six. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In the move book that I have made allusions to in this class about research that's going on in churches, one of the number one components that people want right now in their Christian faith is to belong. To belong. Because they feel isolated or they're moving a lot or they, they've been a part of a church and then they move to another church. It's about belonging. It's about making a place a home and being known. And when I see that word belonging, I kind of change it to be at home. It's to be at home, that we found our home in Christ. And so I can kick off my shoes and I can relax and I can be honest. And I can say what I really think with God. And I don't have to worry about him being mad at me when I feel like I'm really, really frustrated about something. And that we can have a conversation and I can just sit and in his presence in silence and solitude or in that idea of Sabbath that we've talked about or in the Bible study or just in journaling or in some way I'm at home and I want to go there because I belong there. And God has said, I'm gonna make myself available to you. Now he only made himself available like this to the Jews or to those that converted to Judaism. But in Christ, he has opened it up by faith to whoever will come. And that's us right here. And that's worth celebrating. So do you, do you have a sense of belonging in Christ? That's what I wanna ask you. And if you don't, out of all of the elements that I would like for you to leave the class with today, it's that one. If you struggle with belonging, struggle with connecting, what I want you to know is that God is pursuing you so that you belong with him and so that he is your home, that no matter where you go, the church is your home base. No matter where you go, your Bible study is your home. No matter where you go, your prayer life is your connection to home. No matter where you go, there's home. And where there's home, there's relaxation and there's belonging and there's acceptance and there's connection that's actually happening. And we can lose that by being really busy, by 
by being concerned about what's going on in the world around us, and by forgetting about leaning into Christ, having a word-centered life, and having our connection points. We can go on autopilot. This is probably, for us as Christians, the greatest danger of losing our belonging, is that we'll just do stuff and not even think about it. That actually is the lesson I got out of this lesson, is the danger of autopilot. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one that has some spiritual habits in here. I know I have non-spiritual habits too, but we won't be talking about those tonight. And you probably have those. But even our spiritual habits can just become habitual to where we're no longer really emotionally, spiritually connecting. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Do you have a sense of belonging? Because the resurrection of Jesus created the place for you to be at home with God and then at home with God's people, which is really pretty cool. When you get in trouble and you're on the road, who do you call? The church. It's who you call. I mean, the church has really bailed me out before. Christian people love Christian people. There's just something about us that we like, especially running into somebody who's kind of like us. It's just really pretty cool. We belong and we're at home, okay? So that's your devotional idea. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and jump into the idea of first fruits. There's so much here in this passage that we could talk about. And as I was going through, I was trying to bring something that you might not have studied all that much before. And so I'd like to read this section um, and have you read along with me. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about first fruits and then what does this all mean for us in our own lives. So um, I'll just read starting in verse one through two. We'll just kind of read along through this. And I, I wrote them all out here for you. We stand on the gospel, which we have received and are saved, if we hold firmly to its truth. And I want to say this, if we belong to its truth, this is the importance of belonging. If I embrace it and I, and I make it my own and I, I live it out and I follow Christ and God is actually my home, then I know that I'm saved. Verses three through four. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The centerpiece of the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus in our faith. Verses 12 through 19 and 20 through 28. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now, let me just stop right there. I don't know if you've ever had doubts about your faith. Probably so. And I have to confess to you that I have. I loved hearing Michael talk about that in his sermon on Sunday, that there are times that he has gone through these periods where it's like, really, what, what Jesus calls us to? You know, sometimes it sounds really crazy, doesn't it? It's like you want everything and then you want me to just trust you and you want me to pray and you want me to have this mystical leading with the Holy Spirit and you want me to trust you and you want me to like be a part of a group and you want me to tithe my money and you want me to trust you. Are you seeing a repeat, repeating theme for me? And you want me to trust you where I don't know where we're going. You want me to do, and I can't see you. And then sometimes I don't get you. And sometimes I have expectations and you fail my expectations. Have you ever felt that way? I certainly have. Well, here's what I have discovered. I, I figured this out in my 40s. I'm a slow learner, so I apologize. I became a Christian when I was 13. I grew up in the church drinking the communion as, you know, my baby formula. I mean, I just was always in the church. And I was around it all the time. And it wasn't until my 40s that I was really able to answer for me, what is it that I go back to when I'm unsure? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is it that drives my faith? 
that when I'm, I'm not sure about God telling me to do something or he wants me to forgive somebody that I don't want to forgive or he wants me to have more discipline in my life when I want to be more lazy or he wants me to um, pick up some kind of spiritual habit that's good for me that I feel is like eating cold spinach out of a can. Yuck. Here's what I do. When I don't understand anything, I go right back to the resurrection. And I ask myself this question. Do I believe that? Is there one central belief that holds me together? If I'm in a boat and there's a sea that is raging around me and Jesus hasn't reached me yet. We've talked about that in here. And I'm afraid and I'm afraid he's not going to show up because sometimes I feel like I'm an orphan and I have God as my father. But when he takes his sweet little old time getting to me and I feel the tension in my life and he says, trust me, I know where you are and trust me, I'm on my way and trust me, I'm gonna be late according to you but I'm gonna be right on time according to me. And he says, trust me, I go right back to, okay, how? How do I do that? And what I have found is this. I believe that Jesus was resurrected. I have seen too much in my life to discount that. I have seen too many changes. I have seen too many answered prayers. But my fear is, because of my background, and because I grew up with, a, with parents that didn't always follow through, is that God might not follow through in the future. I don't know if that's anybody else's fear in here or not. But he's, he's followed through in the past, but will he keep doing that into the future? And what if it's unpleasant? You know, what, what if he calls me into something that's gonna be really hard for me? Will I stay with him? A lot of people my age leave the faith in their 50s and 60s. They're just done with it. And what I do is I go back to the resurrection and I go, I believe in that and let me start from there. Because if I don't understand everything about God, that's the God I will really want to serve. Think about it. If God were perfectly understandable to you, then is he really God? Can he really create the world by just saying something? Could he really transform you by just answering your prayer? Could he really do that? He, he doesn't explain himself to you. And what I have found is that when I get concerned that I don't get him, I go back to the resurrection and I go, I don't really get that but I believe that, let me go back to the passage of scripture and say, Lord, increase my belief here. Help me to trust you more. And I'm gonna start my processes all over again for trusting and journaling and thinking and praying. And I go to my group of guys and I say, I just need you to pray for me because I'm being asked to do something that's really hard for me to do. I want to do it and I want to believe, but there's something inside of me that sometimes says, really, 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 really. And what I do is I can gain the strength through the fellowship of the word and the fellowship of my brothers and sisters and this church. And I can take steps there and find out that it really is true. If I didn't have that, I might shrink away. But I have found that the resurrection is what holds me together. And I guess what I wanna ask you is, have you found what holds you together? When, when you feel nervous, what holds you together? Because that's what you run back to. Say, so I do believe in this. And it's crazy to believe that God raised somebody from the dead. And I'm going, but I see that I'm a different person as a result of believing in Jesus. I am fundamentally a different person. 
And most of that is because God just changed me. It wasn't because I tried so hard, because I couldn't do it. So I go back to that and look at the resurrection as the source of that power. So what holds you together? Resurrection holds me together. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead, but he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Okay, I feel forgiven. Do you feel forgiven? I feel light and cleansed at times. And and I ask, when I ask God to change my life and to forgive me and to reconcile things, I have a physical response inside of me that I do not fabricate. There's a realness that happens that guilt goes away and hope comes in and forgiveness comes in and life comes in, which is really cool. 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If all, for all we have, sorry, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most pitied. 20 through 28. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's the word that got my attention. First fruits. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as, Adam, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has said, he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. I want to take you to the first fruit, because the first fruit is a sign of the promise. Is a sign of the promise. Now, we have all lived in here and probably have had to say goodbye to some people that are very significant to us. And I don't want to pick at that. I just want to acknowledge that. The first fruits from the dead is a promise of what comes. So when my mom passed away, when I was 22 years old, in my mind, I said, I'll see you later. Not you're annihilated and I will never, ever have an opportunity to interact with you. When I have said goodbye to some of my closest friends from cancer, I have said, if you get a chance to see my mom, would you please tell her what I'm up to? I don't know if that happens or not. I don't really care. It just helps me to get in touch with the truth of first fruits, which is really interesting. We are an interesting people because we are eternal people having a temporary physical experience. And we are saying hello and goodbye to people that we will spend an eternity with. And it is painful to say the ultimate goodbye in this world. But there is hope that because of the resurrection and this word that is here, that when Jesus comes back and he resurrects us, we will get that new body and we will in some way recognize each other and we will be able to have our relationships restored. This is one of the coolest things, I think, about our faith in Christ. So when we're looking at this, the idea of first fruits is that when the harvest came in, the first grain, the first fruits off of the trees, the Jews would take the very best of that and they would come to the priest 
in either the tabernacle and then in the temple, and they would present that to God, a, a small offering of that to God. It was the very best that they had. When they had grain, they would wave it before the Lord as just kind of a way to say, this is the best grain that we have, and there would be this basket of fruit, there would be this basket of grain, and the priests would have that and consume it. And the idea was, is that as they presented it to God, God would say back to them, this is the beginning of a bountiful harvest for you. And I want for you to think of first fruits as a beginning point, and that it is the beginning of a bountiful harvest. So that when Jesus was the first fruits from the dead, it was that Jesus is the promise of everything else that's going to happen as we have faith in him. So I believe that my mom is alive and well somewhere. Alive and waiting for all of the the culmination of the ages, so to speak. And at some point in time, when I get my graduation papers and I go wherever we go, I may see her and I may not see her. But at some point, we are told that we will all be together again before the Lord. And I'm waiting for that time. That is going to be amazing. This is the promise of the resurrection of the first fruits. If that is true, then how should I live? If Jesus is the first fruit of of the dead and he really is the son of God and what he told us is true, then how should I live in the light of the resurrection? How should that impact my life? And I, I got to asking myself this because I'm a professional Christian. I mean, I work at a church, right? I have a word minister and elder and, you know, I have the, the, the delight and the joy of being on staff here. So my question is, do I get so familiar with it that I begin to lose some of the joy? So if you've been a Christian for a very long time, this is our question, is how do we keep renewing our faith and what is it that we can learn about living, in, living with a resurrected Lord that will help us to keep having power and ability and renewal. One of the saddest things to me is watching a minister, an elder, uh, a long-term Christian fall and walk away from their faith. How does that happen? They're not renewed through the power of the resurrection and in some way they get disconnected. I don't want that to be my story. But I know that in this room, we know stories and I know that in this room, if you have been a Christian for a long time, like I have been, that could accidentally be our story. If we do not renew ourselves, Um, with the idea of the resurrection. So let's take a look at what Paul did. The application of the resurrection to our lives, page 33, Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 14. I want to give you some of these ideas and then I'm gonna let you talk about them. Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 14, kind of midway through page 33. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet having taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Um, There are a couple of things that I would like for you to do with this. And the first one is, I would like for you to just go back through. I'm going to give you just a few minutes here. And I want you to go back through this passage. You know, we've done the Lectio Divina where you kind of read through it and you find a word or a phrase that really catches your attention. And I would like for you to do that in this passage. As I read through it, there might have been some things that popped. And I would like for you to go back through that. And I would like for you to find a word or a phrase. They could be equally important to you. And I would like for you to just share that phrase at your table and talk a little bit about why that grabs your attention. We're not going to do the full Lectio, but I want you to grab that phrase because what I've done now is I have got a little bit of a running commentary going in these notes for you. And when we get to your part, um, I would really like for the Word of God to speak to you in that word or phrase as we get to it tonight. So go back through, look at that, and I'd just like for you to share at your tables uh, that word or phrase and just a little bit about, you know, just a couple of sentences on why that word or phrase was meaningful to you. So let me give you about five or so minutes to do that. Okay, let's take a look at some of the big ideas in this passage, and I want to present it to you as a life section. If you're looking for a section of scripture to go back to, to refresh yourself on your purpose and your focus, I would like to suggest this passage in Philippians be one of the ones that you would consider. Because Paul is revealing to us his motivation here. He is saying these are some extremely significant values for me as being a Christ follower. Now, it is not my intention to make us all like Paul. So I do want you to know that. I mean, Paul was single for for what we knew. He didn't have family responsibilities. And um, he could have this single-minded, tent-making ministry. And what I want for you to do is read the context through the lens of your responsibilities and your life. And ask yourself, how can I take these same truths with what I am responsible for and make them come alive in me? And what I would like for you to think about as we go through this is devotionally is to say that's what I really want to have more of and put that on your prayer list. God recognizes that we will never fully arrive at a sense of completed maturity. And we can just stop trying. We could just say it's too hard. We could say that I I just have tried that and I just can't go any further. God has you right where he needs you so that the resurrection power of Jesus can live in your life and he can help you to move beyond what you normally could do. Otherwise, we just have a works mentality. If you could do this, you wouldn't need Jesus. So he's gonna take you to the end of yourself and you're gonna be frustrated. And what he's going to say is, trust me, and take that step in the direction that the word is moving you and I will meet you in that step. And as you keep making those steps, you will grow in the qualities and characteristics that you are praying for that you currently don't have. He meets you in it, and then he accelerates it. So that's what I want for you to think about in the transformation process. So as we go through this, there are some things that I noticed about my own life that I want to do a better job at that are a part that because of my makeup, I would maybe have a deficit in or just my background or my practices and my personality. 
So I think this passage is big enough to capture all of us. So let's look at the very first one. Number one, these are just kind of done by verses. The first one is that Paul experienced a transformation of values in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Because of Jesus' impact on Paul's life, Paul considered, thought through, deeply reflected on what needed to change. Here's what I want you to think about. We talked about habits last time. And habits are the autopilot that moves you on through life without you thinking about it. And a deep consideration of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and what his power holds as a promise for your life is worth looking at to say, that's what I want. Or else you will just fall back on your habits. And you'll just be whoever you could be in as much as you are willing to work on that. And so there might be something tonight that you look at in your life and go, man, I just, I just have to keep working at this over and over and over again. Here's what I want you to know about that. That is not given to you to frustrate you. It is given to you as a connection point. Because if God made you perfect, you might feel like you don't need him. And so the areas that you struggle with or the areas that you have to keep asking his help in do not bring criticism from him, but they become the points where you recognize your dependency on him. It's your dependency. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was, 2 Corinthians 12. We don't know what that was. People have all kinds of guesses. And God never took it away. It was a connection point so that Paul could keep connecting with Christ. His struggle was a spiritual discipline of sorts because he knew that if he didn't connect, his struggle would win and his faith would wane. So what I want you to look at here is as you consider what do you need to do to be the kind of a person that God is calling you to be, he's gonna bring you to the end of yourself and then you're gonna have some choices. And what Paul did is he considered those choices and he said, I'm stepping off the edge. I am going to consider all of my Judaic righteousness I'm going to consider all of my accolades. I'm going to consider my mental ability. I'm going to consider my perseverance in the flesh, my ability to get up every day and do something. I'm going to consider it as loss because of what I'm going to gain by knowing Jesus and stepping off into that faith because he's going to meet me there and something amazing is going to happen. And so Paul strategically decided to change some things. So let me meddle. What do you think you need to change? That you don't want to, or that's super hard to, or that's just become a habit for you, that you know gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying it might even be a sin. What I'm saying is, is that it just gets in the way of your ability to have a relationship with Jesus. So I want you to think of Jesus as your partner, as your, as your spouse, who doesn't like there to be competition. <laughs> So if you've ever been in a relationship, like I have, where there has been competition in your marriage, and your spouse comes up to you and says, hey, you're not as home as much as I would really like for you to be because I'm seeing that there's competition with work or something else, I have that kind of mindset when I look at this passage with Jesus saying, I really want you to be closer to me because of where I'm leading you. So here's what I want you to think about. God is taking you on this amazing journey, and he wants to be with you on that journey. But I have often wondered, this is, this is purely mine, so I just take it for what it's worth. 
I wonder if sometimes we don't have the experiences that we would like to have because we're not close enough to Jesus to have them. I wonder if we don't have the experiences we would like to have because we're not close enough to him to have them. We don't pray enough. We don't, st- we don't know the word enough. We haven't hidden the word in our hearts. So he's not gonna send us a bunch of people that have questions about the Bible because we can't answer them. What if we actually got ready? What if we spent time with Christ? What if we moved in our devotional life and then we said, hey, I'm getting ready. I don't know what you have for me, but meet me with some kind of an experience here that I would not otherwise have. Sometimes that experience is amazing with a conversation. Sometimes that experience is amazing in suffering. But he will meet you in that and he will be there for you. Consider what is getting in the way. And Paul said that he considered that and he used this means of um, kind of a profit and loss all the way through here. So think of it almost like I'm going to throw this away and I'm going to get something else. The second one is the radical change was brought about by an encounter with the living Christ on the Damascus Road. And I put this in here, Acts chapter nine, verse five, number two, it says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Imagine that conversation. You're driving down the road, great big light, you're against Christians, and all of a sudden this voice comes, it's me, Jesus. What would that do to you? You see, when we encounter him, we are undone and we are remade. This is the new creation, but we can get so used to it that we do not renew that over and over again. So here's one of my devotional thoughts for you. How do you want to renew the fact that you serve a living Jesus? If if he has become a commonplace to you, if he has become kind of second nature, what do you want to do to get in contact with that? And I would say, live on the edge of your faith and ask him to show up. If you want to change behavior, keep praying, Lord, you have to help me change this behavior. And I promise you, the behavior will begin to yield over time. If there's somebody that you need to talk with, then pray for the wisdom in the opening that you could have that conversation with that person. And then wait for that opportunity. If there is a spiritual discipline in your life that you would like to develop that is hard for you, you want to get out of bed in the morning, or you want to to do something um, like journaling that you might not do or silence and solitude or you might need to worship a little differently and it's hard for you, then pray about that and set out learning what those steps are and I promise you it will begin to yield for you. In my own life, people have said, Peter, you seem to have a lot of wisdom and I'm like, "Uh, not really. James chapter one, verse five says, I know you don't have it, Peter, because you're really stupid. Because if you just did it on your own, it would, you wouldn't really know what to say. But I will, I will give you insight and knowledge. And you know what? He promises that to everybody. I grew up thinking that I was really intelligent and smart from the time that I could speak. Imagine if I was really stupid telling everybody what I thought that they should do and did not have any wisdom whatsoever. I could be really dangerous. And I look at that and I go, Lord, just please help me to have wisdom. Help me to have wisdom. And I pray before I open my mouth when I talk to people, help me to have wisdom, to say the right thing in what you want to have done. And then I just stand back and I watch God work in ways that I cannot understand, living on the edge of my faith. The most amazing time that I had this was when I got to go speak at um, the prison system at um, Jefferson City. I don't think I've told you this story, but if I did, just nod your head as by way of reminder. I was stupid enough (laughs) to say, yes, whatever you want me to do in the prison, I will do, okay? Step into that forward faith, and I'm going, what what could happen? Well, what they decided to do 
was have open mic with the prisoners. And I would be in the chapel. They would film me for the entire prison. And I would answer questions on the air, on television, in front of the entire prison by having the prisoners ask me whatever they wanted to ask. Oh, yeah, baby. I said, sure, I'll do that. Jesus, you really, really have to help me. I want you to know that I have very little recollection of that time because I was so scared. I would, I would like sit down and the whole time that a person was talking, I was listening to them. I'm like, okay, I gotta say something, Lord. You just gotta help me figure this out because I really wanna say something that's gonna be really meaningful. I don't have any idea who these people are. And this, this went on for probably about 45 minutes or so. And during this time, there was this man that got up. He was an African-American and he got up and he said to me, why should we believe anything that you say? The only difference between you and me is that you're free and I'm in jail. I love challenges. I went, oh Lord, I'm opening my mouth. You better make something really good come out. I, I can tell you, I don't remember what I said. But it was moderately combative. I mean, it wasn't like mean. But when somebody pushes in prison, you have to be directive back. I mean, it's not like, I, I didn't apologize. I, I made some, co- I don't remember what it was. It was not inappropriate, but I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. He sat down. As soon as the question and answer was done, he popped up and went right toward me. I mean, he came right at me, just like right there. And he stopped. And he just looked at me and I'm like, okay, I'm totally vulnerable. You know, you learn, head, stomach, groin, turn sideways and go like this, you know, hide in some way. He's right in front of me and I went, okay, Lord, I'm dead. I just, I must've said something because I remember this, that I was like fairly right. And he looked at me and he said, I really appreciated what you had to say. Let me tell you about my story. I have no idea how that happens. I have zero, zero idea how that happens. When you consider loss and you say, I will step out over here, whatever you do, give me what I need, he will not abandon you. In fact, he said to his disciples, I'll give you what you need to say when they pull you in front of the magistrates. I'll do that. If you ask him, he will give you exactly what you need in the moment you need it. This is the discipline of praying through your day. And you gotta listen and you gotta do it so that you can have these kind of amazing resurrection power stories that defy logic. I am not that good and I'm not that smart. I just recognize I'm incapable and God is capable. That's what he said. He will make us capable. That's what Paul is looking at here. He said, I I get a sense about that and that's what I want. So when you're looking at your life, and you want to put some of that stuff off on your side, off on the side, what, what God is calling you to here is this living relationship with him that he wants to put you on the front lines and he wants you to change people's lives and he will be there with you, even if it's a soft, kind word or even if it's just your presence. And as you pray, Lord, just help me to figure this out and let me be who you need for me to be. That's what Paul did in this case. Number three, moreover, Paul accepted one priority in his life following his encounter with Jesus. Everything else he counted as disposable. So this really challenged me. I have a lot of really good habits that I like. I mean, I like exercise. I like working in my yard. I like 
talking to people. And I started asking myself, do those things in its accumulative effect hinder me from my own personal devotional life? That's my question I've been asking myself since I put this together. Do good things hinder me from doing what is best? That's, that's a lot of what you and I are gonna be dealing with. And I think at times the answer to that question is yes. So what am I gonna do about it? You know, we are all the same in this issue because God is gonna bless us and he's going to move us forward. And he's gonna help us, but his blessings can actually get in the way if we're not really careful. So what you wanna look at now is, well, what is really truly the priority of my life? And am I living out that priority? Now, this moves on over to number four, which is this idea of garbage or dung. Uh, I think the, the King James Version called it dung. And I, I just thought this was really cool, so I looked it up. What Paul has lost in this translation that the New International used as garbage in the Greek is unspeakable filth. I really like that. I have lost unspeakable filth. And this is just that kind of term that was a kind of a coarse term that was just used to describe rotting corpses and human excrement. And, you know, we have some of those terms also in our culture that we don't speak in polite company. That's this word right here that you're taking a look at. As Paul is really drawing this, this, these distinctions to say what I learned and what I did, I would consider it to be as, as unspeakable filth in comparison to what I'm going to learn about Jesus. So his goal, number five, was to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, and to know the power of his resurrection and his sufferings. And so I put here, why would Jesus be considered to be um, so important? And I put um, for myself, Colossians 2, 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you really want to have an amazing life with where you are, if you want to have the wisdom that will help you get through, if you want to put yourself in a position and then know that God is going to be with you, he will give you the wisdom and he will give you the treasures that you need. But you have to put yourself in that position and you have to be ready for that. And I think that's part of what Paul is looking at here. So I put these, to gain Christ is his profit and loss. So he's just saying that if I put Jesus on this scale over here and I put everything that I have acquired and everything about me over here, then Jesus far outweighs that and this is just all disposable in comparison. And you know what? That really spoke to me this last week and I just asked myself, how do I rate with that? How do I rate with that? Because like you, I'm trapped in a body. I want, I want it to be as healthy as possible. I live in a culture that I have a lot of concerns about. My question is, do I really focus in on what does it mean for me to walk with Jesus every day? To have a relationship with him every day? And what about these other voices and distractions that are over here that can pull me away? And I think that's a really great question for us to ask. And that's what Paul is saying, is that I need to consider all that stuff to really be disposable so that I can really be motivated to have this relationship with Christ because of what happens in him. Letter B under on 34, it says to be found in him has to do with the judgment so that in Christ we are judged as righteous. Uh, verse uh, let, number, Letter C, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. That's what we're talking about. Um, and there's a really great quote in here that I um, got for you that I thought was really great. Um, it says, he wishes to know him alive, wishes to know Jesus alive and creatively at work to save him from himself to transform him from bad to good, to propel him forward toward a life of service to others, to inaugurate newness of life, life in the spirit, in the word, to resurrect 
him from the dead and sin to life in God to quicken and stimulate his whole moral and spiritual being. I just like that phrase. That was a great tight little section. And I would say that's really what we want, especially transformed from bad to good. I just want to be a better person, especially as I age. And I face um, new challenges. Letter D, the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, what I want to say on here, you can look at this, is that the fellowship of his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, on page 35, um, as, I, as I did a lot of research for this, um, I settled in on the idea that the, the, the fellowship of his sufferings probably has to do with an accent on what it meant to try to be righteous every day in a godless culture. Remember, he lived in the Roman culture. And there were temple prostitutes and there were crucifixions going on and there were beatings going on and there were magistrates that would do whatever they wanted to do with impunity. And um, there was just a lot of temptation to conform to the culture of that day. And there is suffering associated with living differently than that. Paul had a righteousness and he had already died to himself and um, he eventually did have times where he suffered physically But this is really kind of this continual idea of I am just going to suffer and the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings to be obedient to God. So here's what I thought about. And I've thought about this for a while. When I am doing the right thing, I often think about how Jesus felt trying to do the same thing. How easy or difficult was him to hold his tongue? Have you ever wondered about that? Imagine the things he could say to people. (laughs) Imagine the things we could say to people. How hard was it to hold his tongue? How hard was it to hold his action? I mean, he could heal and he could also probably curse like a fig tree or an individual or a stream or something. I mean, the, the restraint that he had, and I'm looking at that going, God wanted us to see an exact representation of his heart. And that's encased in Jesus, Hebrews chapter one. The heart of God is encased in the person of Jesus. And he wanted no distractions to that. And you know what? He wants the same thing in you. He wants you to be a walking, living representation of his heart, which means that there will be sufferings and struggles for you to be that person and to pray for wisdom and to work in the right way. I think that's the accent here. I'm not saying that it doesn't actually mean on some level martyrdom, which it probably does. But that really ministered to me because that's me every day. I'm probably not going to be whipped and thrown in jail tonight. But I may have to watch my tongue and I may have to clean out my mind and I may have to renew again my driving skills. I may have to do that before the night is over to be holy and righteous before the Lord and to act in the right way when I don't really feel like it. And I think that somehow, some way that captures for me what this is talking about and what does it mean to live a resurrected life. Um, Number six, Paul did not completely grasp what it meant, which is great, because if he doesn't get it, I'm not going to worry about it. Number seven, to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. This one is the motivation that we're taking a look at, and this one I wanted to get to for you. And this is a play on words in the Greek, and I'd just like to explain it to you this way. God goes after us, and we go after God. And what Paul said was that I want to lay hold of the righteousness that God has laid a hold of in my own life. I want to lay a hold of the eternal life that God has placed within my own life. I want to pursue what God is pursuing in me. I want us to do that together. 
I want us to be in this partnership together. And this idea is, in the Greek, it's the word apprehend. I want to apprehend what God has apprehended in me. I want us to work together as a team. And I got looking at that and I thought, that is really cool. Is that his motivation is to take the gospel and the power of the resurrection and living his life in obedience to Christ and make it come alive for the world to see. And I think we can all do that in every, every way that we can, at home, at work, wherever we happen to be, is to take those characteristics and have them come alive. And what Paul said is, wherever I go, I want that to be the case. And then he said this, which I really like. This was the part that really spoke to me of what one of the things I wanna take is, um, where it says A and B. On the one hand, forgetting the things behind, and on the other hand, stretching out to the things in front. And let me close the theological portion with this and then give you a couple application points and let you talk about it. And that's this. We cannot change what has happened to us from the standpoint of the truthfulness of it. We cannot change what we have done from the standpoint that we did that. But what we can do is embrace forgiveness. And this is what Paul is talking about. You know, Paul heartily approved the murder of Christians. Paul went on the hunt for Christians. Imagine the guilt that could happen to somebody like that when he finally comes to his senses and thinks, oh my goodness, I have done the exact wrong thing. Now, most of the time when people are committing sin, they have lost their minds. I mean, they're working out of an area of their mind that has taken control and they're not thinking about the consequences. They're not thinking about their actions. They're not thinking about their reputations. And when they come to their senses, there can be this overwhelming sense of guilt. And what Paul says is that one of the most amazing things is that we can recognize I was that, but I am no longer that. And this is the power of the new creation. You see, the strength of our story also comes from the appreciation of our salvation. The appreciation of starting all over again. The appreciation of knowing that in Christ, he is renewing us over and over and over. And I would hope you are in touch with that. Because if you are like me, you, are probably, you probably have failures in your life. Some of them are great and some of them are small that you wish that you did not have. And you could easily get trapped in those to say, there's nothing I can do. And what God does is he looks at that and he says, Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of that sin and to take away your shame and guilt so that you can strain ahead and show everybody what salvation and power does in the life of somebody that has already been crushed by sin in the world. You see, we have been crushed, I'm sure. I'm sure we have stories of crushing and we have stories of success. And what Paul is saying is that I'm pressing on and I'm not going to let my guilt and I'm not gonna let my remembrance and I'm not gonna let this behavior of the old self, I call that the old Peter, define who I am in Christ. I can recognize, oh yes, I, I did those things or yes, I thought those things or yes, those words came out of my mouth or yes, I wish that that wasn't there. But I am to constantly be moving forward. Now remember, this whole idea is we come to the end of ourselves and when we come to the end of ourselves, the end of ourselves might be somebody who we think needs to be punished or somebody who's not good enough. And what God says is I want you to take one more step because this step into a shameless life is where I want you to go. And I want you to experience that. And I want you to take another step into that life. And I want you to take another step into that life. And I want you to take another step. And I know that this is your whole life. 
But what I want you to do is to press on because there are lots of people that you need to grab their hands and move them right over here to a shameless life in Christ also of appreciation and joy. So let's go back to the beginning. And the number one idea on here that I put that I wanna leave you with is first fruits. And it says number one on page 36, our, our role as first fruits is to celebrate. So as you are thinking about what you wanna see different in your life, what I really want for you to do also is to ask yourself, how can I celebrate these, these great truths in my own life that are working for me? How do I celebrate them and put them on my face and build them into my life and put them into my heart to have appreciation and to keep moving forward, knowing that God is constantly moving me into his power and his ability so that I will be a living testimony of the power of the resurrection, going from a broken person to an individual who is actually alive and joyful, who may have a past that I don't really appreciate, but God looks at me and says, I can deal with that past, but I want you to go and I want you to bring people with pasts and I want them to experience the same thing. So this passage is talking about is that God will infuse you and empower you to be that person if you will let him. It doesn't matter what the past is. It matters whose hands you rest in and the power that is in those hands. And that's what I want for you to see. It is the encouragement of the resurrection power. And there's a whole number of other things that you could look at on this page number 36 that I will let you talk about. And it is like eight o'clock. So I'm gonna close with a word of prayer. And if you wanna chat for a little bit, you can. It's like almost time to go. I got too preachy. I picked too big of a passage, so I apologize. Um, But here's what I want for you to think about is um, what do you wanna take from tonight? And um, how are you going to take these truths and make them come alive? So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your goodness. And we thank you for the resurrection power that is ours. And Lord, we pray that these truths will be embedded in our emotional selves, where we will not only know them with our minds, but we will live them out with our emotions as well. And that we would be able to take our steps into grace and into the new life and allow for our past to be our past and our future to still unfold in grace and in truth, centered on the promise of the resurrection of Jesus who will change us and make us new over and over and over again in our lives. Help us to know what one thing we need to give up so that Christ can be focused in our lives and help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.